Hello, welcome to the Oswald Gamer. I'm your host, Rob. As you can see, I'm joined by the Twitch chat here. And we're looking at the Blades of Corn Battle Tome for 2023. We'll be looking at all of the rules and we'll also be looking at the War Scrolls as they've been all put out today for us to look at. We'll be talking about how the army works and how you can build some army lists in this review. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, the chat here will be giving you loads of hot information. And as always, I'm supported by the chat and everyone on Patreon. So if you do like it, comments and likes below, or if you listen to the podcast, just kind of scream into the void is the way, for, the way to do it. Right, battle traits. What are battle traits? If you're building yourself a corn army uh, and all your models in it are corn, not the corn dragon, that's gone. So if you bought the corn dragon, you can't play with it anymore. You have to legally go outside and throw it in a river like a bag of kittens. Uh, corn would love that. So what are battle traits? You've got a whole corn army. It's <laughs> a great way to start off the YouTube video. <laughs> You've got a whole corn army. Everyone's got the keyword corn. That means you get battle traits. Battle traits are special rules that apply to your whole army. What are the battle traits? Uh, what are the battle traits? <laughs> YouTube viewers sell Avon. That made me laugh. What are the battle traits for corn? Okay, so you got the Locust of Fury. Okay, this is while a friendly Blaze of Corn demon unit is more than eight inches away from all enemy units, they benefit from a five up ward save. You may be asking yourself, hey Rob, how come it's 8 inches, other abilities are 9 inches, 12 inches, 15 inches, whatever they might be. 8 is the number of corn and therefore it's the narrative number. I'm sure through this book we'll see uh, either 8 or multiples of 8 being 16 being used for ranges. That means an ability that you normally would have had for 18 inches is instead going to be 16 inches for no real reason. Uh, other than, obviously, the story, which is nice. Uh, so a 5-up ward, this is good because it's going to stop you potentially taking as much damage at range via shooting and missiles, which is decent. That's legitimately decent. Like, that's really good because this is going to be a combat army. There are very few shooting units inside this book. The whole book and the whole army will be a combat army. Uh, so that's how it's going to be designed uh, from the ground up. It will be linearly a combat army as well, uh, as in... These rules make it more of a combat army. Its sub-faction rules make it more of a combat army. And then its war scrolls will indeed make it more of a combat army. That's how it works. Um, so, uh, that's what you get for Locusts of Fury. So, if you're 8 inches away, uh, although you can get within 8 inches and still shoot. Uh, so, Murderous to the Last is another ability. So, this is an ability. So, also, if you play Corn uh, and you're at a tournament, you have to shout Blood for the Blood God at least once a game. Twitch chat, love it when you do that. I love it when you do that. Uh, and then every time you lose a model, you get to shout murderous to the last. Or specifically, you get to shout, I'm about to make my murder roll. You get to shout that out really loud. I'm about to make my murder roll, which is cool. You get to do it for each single model that's slain, which is legitimately great. Um, so each time a friendly bloodbound. So if you see something in bold, it's called a keyword. Keywords can be found at the bottom of War Scrolls, uh, right at the bottom. So, Bloodbound. Uh, model is slain. Basically, uh, you then get with a melee weapon. Each time it's slain with a melee weapon, you get to roll a dice. Or murder roll, sorry. Don't roll a dice. Get yourself a special murder dice. Several murder dice. Do a murder roll. And on a five up, then you're going to cause a mortal wound to a unit within three inches. If it's a Bloodbound hero, you get to roll three dice. So, it's kind of like the Stormcast ability to do mortal wounds. That's what you do. You do mortal wounds to a unit within three inches. Um, so that's pretty great, yeah? So you get to shout murder roll. So five up ward, outside of range, if you're outside of shooting. Uh, if you're in combat and you get killed, murder roll. But what if people do spells? Great question, Rob. There's the hatred of sorcery, which basically gives you a five up spell ignore against spells and endless spells. 
so if you are affected by a spell on a 5-up, you can ignore it, which is nice. And if you do successfully ignore it, you get to add a Blood Tithe point. Blood Tithe points is going to be a resource that you generate and you can use for special abilities. And you can also summon in this army. There's also rules uh, for... Uh, building, uh, taking some Slaves of Darkness units in this army and Beasts of Chaos units in this army. Um, the best, the best, uh, the best allies in the game is actually a tier show that I'll be doing very soon, uh, and Beasts of Chaos will feature very heavily in it. Right, let's go talk about Blood Tide points. Just a quick side note: Twitch chat brought this up. Um, if you are uh, one of the ladies playing uh, with Corn, uh, you can then say it's Murder She Rolls. That's what the murder roll could be. Murder she rolls, which legitimately is worth saying. I think that that's that's the one. So make sure you do that. Make sure you do that. Murder she rolls. That's great. That's great. Next up is the blood tide table. Now this is kind of the whole shebang of a corn army. Thank you to Splonkerton for donating five gift subscriptions. Uh, you superstar. So, what is a blood tide table? Well, think about it like this. Think about it as like a little jar that you fill up with blood tokens, right? And that's done by, as we saw already, ignoring spells. Or if any unit is slain on the board. If there's a unit on the board that's a monster and gets killed, little blood tide token goes in the, goes in the little jar, right? And you're like, oh, sweet, and they swirl around, okay? And then you can spend those blood tides, so take those blood tides out of the jar, and you can spend them. It's like a little bank account. It's a little, like blood bank account. Only no one enjoys what happens when you take the blood out. It's not good. Okay, so when a unit is slain, you get a blood tie taken. And that's for either your enemy uh, your enemy units or your friendly units. Right, the blood tithe jar. That's exactly what it is. And then once at the end of each hero phase, so that would be my hero phase and my opponent's hero phase, you can spend uh, the blood tithe on one ability from the list below. Each ability costs a number of Blood Tithe points shown next to its entry, and you can only spend Blood Tithe points on reward if you have enough Blood, point tithe, blood tithe points to do so. Okay. It also says that Rising Hatred and Slaughter Triumphant stack, which we should talk about. So what are they? So Rising Hatred, which is one of the ones that can stack, it costs you five Blood Tithe points, and you add one to Hatred of Sorcery rolls until the end of the battle. Now, we already know that you make a Hatred of Sorcery roll on a five up, so that means it becomes a four up. And every time you ignore a spell, you get more blood tithe. So it kind of makes sense to try and like ping that early because then when your opponent's casting spells, you can make it so you can get down to a one up spell ignore. Spell ignores do not have the fail on a one rule that other things like to hit and to wound and save do. So you can have a one up spell ignore. So you could basically auto ignore spells, but that is going to take you over four turns to do so and is going to cost you 20 Blood Tithe, so you may well not do it. Uh, so that's Rising Hatred. The other one costs 8 Blood Tithe points. That's the other one that can stack. And that's add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly corn units until the end of the battle. So you can just keep stacking them up. Plus one attack, plus one attack, plus one attack. Again, you've got to spend 8 Blood Tithe points for that to happen every time. Um, so that's a lot. Okay, what else do you get? What else can you do uh, with the Blood Tithe? Well, if you spend one Blood Tithe points, up to three Different friendly Blades of Corn units, more than three inches, so not within engagement range, of enemy units can make a move of D6 inches. This is kind of interesting as a mechanic because it's in the hero phase, which means you can do it in your enemy's hero phase, and you can end in combat. So you can end within three inches, 
which is pretty cool. Normally, you can't do that. That means what you can do is pin units in. So you can have a unit that your opponent has like been has said to themselves, right, I'm out of range now. I'm going to be able to. I'm going to be able to potentially like run over there or, or move over there, then charge, and then you'll move D6s into three inches of them, right? And then they won't be able to move away. Another good example in the chat is no unleash hell. You could, if it's your turn, you could just move a unit into combat so that they won't ever be able to unleash hell into them. It's got loads of play. And the fact that it only costs one blood tithe, fantastic, right? Absolutely fantastic. Right, so it's just very good. Stops all the charge reactions. It's very good. Shout out to Gear in the chat. So then next up, Spell Eater Curse. Also fantastic. It's two Blood Tithe. That's right. Uh, and this is just an auto unbind. Someone casts a spell and you don't even have to roll. You just stop the spell. And that's great, especially if they've brought something that's very important to their army like Chronomantic Cogs or Soul Screen Bridge, which are endless spells, or if they want to do something like an army-wide 5-up ward or an Umbral Spell Portal or just those very clutch spells, this seems like a really good one, in my personal opinion. Um, uh, then you've got... Oh, sh shout out to Firsty B in the chat, pointing out that with Murderlust, so that's the moving the D6 inches in the hero phase for one Blood Tithe point, you could also stop redeploys. There's loads of tech with that, and the fact that it's only one Blood Tithe is great. Is great. Uh, Brascal Meteor is pick one enemy on the battlefield and you roll eight dice, obviously, because it's corn. Uh, any five ups, they'll suffer a mortal wound. But you add two if they have a wounds characteristic of ten or more, um, or it has ten or more models. This one is probably one that I will you'll see less of, um, unless it like just happens to kill that character like in the right moment to to win the battle. But it's not great. Um, Apoleptic Frenzy which it costs four Blood Tithe points, is you pick a friendly Blades of Corn unit within three inches of the enemy unit, and that Blades of Corn unit can fight. So that's fighting the hero phase, and that's huge. Because they charge you, they start fighting you, and then they get the double turn. You're still engaged in combat. So if you're in the mix, it's a bit of a Rorschach situation. Like, they're trapped in there with you, not the other way around. So you ever get... You ever get you ever get into close combat, um, and then the hero phase is about to rock around. Get ready, they've got fight in the hero phase, and it's not even that expensive uh, for blood tithe points. And I would like to vote that we change it to apocalyptic frenzy because that would make it much easier. Uh, Rising hatred, which is five points, we already talked about. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah, if you're fighting in the hero phase, there might be murder rolls, which we love. Uh, we already talked about Rising Hatred, which is 5, which is um, plus 1 to the Spell Ignore roll. Heads Must Roll is for 6, which improves the Ren characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Blades of Corn units until the end of that turn by 1. That's kind of okay in the right situation, plus 1 Rend. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. 6, though, for that. Ooh. I'd be looking for ways to try to make it so that I could use Apoleptic Frenzy. Nailed it. Uh um, in the hero phase, so I get more fighting out of my army, right? That seems really good. Um, and then you've got uh, Let the Blood Flow, which is probably the weakest one. It's roll one dice for each unit on the battlefield. That's within three inches of any friendly Blades of Corn units. On a two plus, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. Maybe you build a big line of units, run them in, uh, make it so they're all in range, but it costs seven Blood Tithes, so you already had to have either killed a lot of their army or lost a lot of your army or ignored a lot of spells to get that amount of Blood Tithes. So I don't think that one's going to be really good. And we already talked about number eight. You get to add one attacks, the, uh, get, add one attacks Add one to the attacks characteristic, which is great because it's a fighting army. But getting eight blood tithe, 
going to be a bit of tough. So uh, I'm going to say overall, big fan of Murderlust. Some real opportunity to really mess with your opponent. Uh, that's the move three. Spell it a curse is fantastic for this army. Um, Apoleptic Frenzy is absolutely fantastic for this army. Uh, and Rising Hatred is really good as well. So all in all, pretty good so far. All in all, pretty good. Walter. You can also summon demons using your blood tithe points. And that's where you're going to have this interesting little balancing act you have to do with the army. Are you using the blood tithe points for utility? Or are you using the blood tithe points to summon more units onto the board? As was pointed out in the chat, the blood master is currently a priest. And when you can summon him, you can pick a prayer for them. If ever you summon a character that's either a wizard or a priest, you get to pick a spell or a prayer for them. That's how it works, which is quite cool. Skull Cannon's only five points. Uh, the chat telling me that the Blood Letters have got a lot better. Uh, they've got two wounds each now. And for eight Blood Tithe points, you're going to get 20 Blood Letters, which is 40 wounds, which is which is legit, uh, which is legit in any situation. Blood Crushers are only five points. So you're going to have to really manage how you uh, use your Blood Tithe points and maybe plan it out a lot as well. Are you looking to summon more? Or are you looking to make more murder rolls? That's the real question. Uh, so yeah, summon demons of corn. Also blood tithe points. It's a little bit of a shame that they don't have two separate mechanics. Because other people will just get an allegiance suite and a summoning pool. And they're not connected, like we've just seen with Sinesh. They have an allegiance suite, and then not connected to that is also their summoning mechanic. The fact that you've got to, you've got to weigh up your options here doesn't feel very corn-like, uh, is all I'm going to say. Hashtag murder roll. Okay, so if you play with the Blades of Corn army, you get a Skull Altar for free. Well, not free. You have to buy it with actual cash money. But you can bring it along for your army, and it's like a buff piece. So it's a train piece. You get this in all of Age of Sigmar. Uh, not all. Randomly. Random armies get it. But for Corn, they have it. It's called the Skull Altar. It's actually a pretty cool terrain piece, in my personal opinion. Um, it's a defensible terrain piece, which is pretty cool, which means it can be garrisoned by a hero with a wounds characteristic of 8 or less. If you garrison, you have plus 1 to your save, and you also minus 1 to hit, which is pretty cool. Plus, it's got a really flat platform for you to put a priest on, just like giving it the big un, which is which is exactly what you want if you're playing Corn. Hashtag murder roll. Uh, anyway, invoke judgment. So if you invoke a judgment, which are not endless spells they are invocations endless invocations um then you get to double the range at which the, they are set up which is massive uh, that's really good doubling the range of those is great um also you've got words of hate as an ability and if you've got a priest wholly within eight inches of the terrain feature then you get to re-roll this is all priests wholly within eight inches well corn priests obviously uh you get to re-roll their chanting rolls, which is great, which means your prayers are more reliable. Uh, again, prayers, not spells. So they're more reliable. And then finally, it's got a special rule where, called Witchbane, if an enemy wizard miscasts a spell, which means it casts a spell on, like on 2d6 and it rolls two ones, you miscast, then instead of suffering d3 mortal wounds, you'll suffer d6 mortal wounds. So Skull Altar makes priests better because they get to re-roll and it doubles the range of invocations. You can garrison a guy and... And miscasts are going to be even worse. Well, it's not bad. It's not bad for a terrain feature. Not bad at all. Hashtag murder roll. Right. So we looked at the altar and we haven't looked at all the units yet and a load of other stuff. But let's just talk about endless invocations. So they're slightly different to endless spells, but they're effectively the same. 
Uh, and the reason we're going to talk about them is because the altar allows you to double the range of setup on these, which is pretty great. Um, so we thought we would talk about it. Shout out to Power Pilgrim in the chat for subscribing for the first time. Nice. So there are three endless spells. The Hex Gorgeous Skulls are like an anti-magic um, endless invocation. The Bleeding Icon is uh, a, like a horrorgast, so it effectively affects bravery and stops people being able to run away. Um, well, makes people run away more, in fact. That's the opposite. And then the Wrath Axe is just a pure damage spell. So we'll just talk about these uh, in detail now. But just so you know, the Bleeding Icon, which is the, um, the bravery debuff, uh, invocation is only 40 points. The Hexgorgeous Skulls, which is the anti-magic uh, prayer, is 50 points. And then the Wrath Axe, which is the damage-dealing one, is 70 points. All of these endless invocations only move in your hero phase. And that's how that's another way in which they differentiate from endless spells. So only move in your hero phase. So that means that it's going to be a little bit more difficult to manage exactly where on the, they are on the board, especially if your opponent gets that something like gets something like a double off. So they're going to be in places you weren't really expecting them. And the range of all of these is unfortunately probably an eight, uh, which is quite limited range. Uh, for example, the bleeding icon um, if you compare it to a Horogast, uh, only affects units within 8 inches, whereas a Horogast is 12, and you can move a Horogast in each hero phase. But the bonus of having uh, an invocation is the fact that it's much more difficult for your opponent to get rid of them. In the case of... Um, in the case of uh, and the spells, they can just get dispelled, or un yeah, dispelled by an enemy wizard. Okay? Easy. Right, so what do they do in detail? All right, Hexgorgeous Skulls, you set them up within eight, and they move eight uh, in your hero phase. So set up eight, move eight, so that's 16 inches. Of course, if you cast them with a wizard who's in your skull altar, it's going to be set up within 16 and move eight, so 24 inches. And that's actually true for all three invocations, so we don't have to mention that again. Set up within eight, move eight, unless you cast it with uh, the guy inside the altar, and you can only ever do that with one of these invocations. Right, okay. Uh, the other thing that Hexgorgeous Skull does um, is it makes wizards within eight inches minus two to cast, which the chat are the chat are quite excited about. The chat are quite excited about. Um, they It affects a lot of wizards, meaning that they can't cast spells on themselves. Like a Mystic Shield is pretty clutch to a lot of armies for armor stacking. I, I think yes. It's quite cheap as well. It's only 50 points. Um, also, if an enemy wizard within 8 inches casts a spell on an 8, then they suffer d6 mortal wounds, and any other wizards within 8 inches suffer d6 mortal wounds. But we generally uh, don't tend to see wizard castles much anymore. It's quite an interesting one. It's quite an interesting one. Uh, but minus 2 to cast is probably the reason that you're taking it. So uh, I think that that works really well into some armies, but we're now seeing a lot of anti-magic tech in the game. You've seen Beast of Chaos with a Saigor. That's pretty cool for doing uh, for stopping wizards. So Hexgorgeous Schools, interesting. I'd like to know if you guys would take it, so in the comments below. Um, then you've got the Bleeding Icon. So I've told you about the range. Eight inches, move eight, unless you do it from the altar. Uh, and this affects units within eight inches. It doesn't affect corn units, which is cool. It doesn't affect corn units. Um, and what it does, uh, it, it doesn't allow you to use Inspiring Presence on units within 8 inches. Again, it won't affect your army, it'll only affect your opponent's army. So no Inspiring Presence, that's really, really good for low bravery armies. Uh, we've been talking about this a while. I've been a huge fan of Horogast for a very long time. This is a bit like a Horogast. And then if anyone runs, a, like if any 
unit fails a battle shot test, then you roll a dice. On a 1 to 5, D3 more models run away. This can be really, really useful into units with low bravery, like Rockgut Trogoths. Um, that's really good. However, on a 6, you add D6 to the number that run away, but then the, um, the icon will disappear off the board. So, anti... Anti, uh, anti bravery checks. It's quite good. It's quite good. Like, very, very good. You do want units to like absolutely be wiped out with corn because that'll get you blood tithe points. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting one. And then finally, you've got the wrath axe. You've got the wrath axe, and this just does straight up damage. Anything it moves across, and its move is eight inches. You roll a dice, and on a two up, they take D three mortal wounds, and that's multiple units, which is quite unique for an endless spell but because this is an invocation uh you won't get to do it in each hero phase so i guess it's kind of twice as effective in its own hero phase when it gets to do so eight inches is particularly fast though um and then you get to pick a unit within three inches and then roll a dice on a two to five there's some d3 mortal wounds and then uh, d6 mortal wounds if you roll six and then it vanishes off the board it's 70 points for this one um this one is one of those ones where it's a lot of damage which i quite like uh, it, you've actually got quite a lot of range on it as well, which is if you did cast it from uh, the altar, then it could be 24 inch range. Um, and then you get to pick a unit within three inches. So 27 inches to affect a unit, but then you're only doing D3 mortal wounds with the hope of a D6 mortal wounds. Of 70 points, maybe that's not enough. So um, yeah, the endless invocation is quite interesting. I mean, they're wicked models to pick up if you want to. Uh, but there's and there's definitely what's nice about this is there's some really good utility. You've at least got two spells. One, oh sorry, prayers. You got the bleeding icon dealing with uh, dealing with low bravery armies if they're an issue in the game at that moment, and then hexgorgeous skulls dealing with wizards if they're a major issue to you. And that's quite nice, having two things that can deal with different army styles. You maybe even would have an army that's got both of those things at the same time. So it's great. Uh, so love them. Right. Now, corn doesn't do magic, but it does blood magic, as I've talked about. And the prayers are awesome. So when you take a priest in the army, you can have these prayers. They can only choose one uh, prayer, um, unless you take any upgrades and stuff. So what do we get? And they are some powerful 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 ones so we've got blood sacrifice now this is really good you do d3 mortal wounds to a unit of yours within eight inches obviously uh take d3 mortal wounds and you receive a blood tithe point that's going to be pretty common i think getting those blood tithe points can be really useful if it's for summoning or if it's for the blood tithe table feels like a bit of a no-brainer uh then you've got blood bind blood bind is a prayer that has an answer of three don't forget if you're around that altar you're going to be re-rolling these um, and a range of 16 inches. If answered, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to the chanter, and more than three inches from all friendly units. Your opponent must make a move of up to eight inches with that unit. All the models in that unit must finish that move as close as possible to the chanter and can finish that move within three inches of your army. And the way this is done, this is done in the hero phase. And when you use the blood tide table, it's at the end of the hero phase when you use your blood tithe ability so that means you could drag a unit in and then you can use the blood tithe to fight in the hero phase which is a bit of a wombo combo or you can drag a screen out and then you can yeet a unit in uh, and charge into that space where the screen previously was so really effective blood bind very very cool uh blood sacrifice you can see a lot as well bronze flesh adds plus one to the save of a unit within 16 inches so a blades of corn unit uh so that's really powerful 
Arcane Tome in a character so that you then also have a wizard from Mystic Shield. Uh, that's pretty good. You don't often get multiple ways to get plus one to save in an army. It means you can take something that's like... So a good example would be when you run Slaves to Darkness, if you have a unit of Chosen and you have a unit of, of like, let's say, Nurgle Knights, you would really like to be able to get plus one to save on both units simultaneously which is quite cool because then you really skew the math on how defensive and survivable they are so bronze flesh in the army and also the ability to bring mystic shield in is quite a nice combo i really like that um and if you don't bring the wizard in it's still a great prayer because you get plus one save which is nice um and then you've got killer instinct uh, which is uh, amazing. It's on a three, so you do it on a three, and a range of 16 inches. If answered, pick one friendly Blades of Corn unit within range and more than three inches, so they can't be in combat with an enemy unit, and they get to make a normal move, and this is really good. You obviously can combine this with the Blood Tithe ability to make an additional D6-inch move, uh, which is really good. I'm sure there's run and charge in this army as well, so now it's just going to be ultra-fast. Uh, have a Bloodthirster, move twice, move another D6. Scarbrand, move twice, move another D6. Uh, any of your units, that's so good. Like, it's not locked. To, like, it can be a monster, which is nuts. Um, I like the idea that you can just pull a screen out of the way, double move a unit to where the screen was, and then beat everything up inside of that. That's crazy. That's cool. Uh, and then you've got Unholy Flames, um, which uh, improves the rend of a Blaze of Corn unit within 16 inches. It's okay. It's pretty good. Obviously, we already can do that from the Blood Tide table as well. So it's going to be plus two rend onto a unit, which is actually pretty significant. If they already have rend, that's going to be rend three. Um, that's actually legit. Uh, but with the other stuff, feels like it's more important at the time. Um, but it depends how many priests you've got in your army for how many of these. Because you want most, if not all of these at the moment. Um, and so this is getting really tough. And then finally, you've got Witchbane Curse. And that is, uh, it's got an answer value of four. And you subtract one, and it's it's board wide, which is crazy. You subtract one from the casting rolls made for a wizard, and then until the start of your next hero phase, each time they attempt to cast a spell and they do not successfully cast it, they suffer D3 and mortal wounds. That's going to combine really nicely with the hex gorgeous skulls for that um, minus two, and then minus one from this, so minus three to cast, which is huge, huge uh, effect on the enemy. Um, and then they're going to take D3 mortal wounds. Ally in a Saigor, D3 plus one mortal wounds. You're off to the races, as they say. My problem is, how do I get all of these prayers in my army? I'm going to be running a lot of priests, it feels like. It feels like I'm going to get a lot of priests, or I need a lot of priests, because these are so useful. Uh, so I'm going to want to do that. Okay, so now we're going to look at the command traits. So your general, your chosen general in your army, can't be a name character, gets a command trait they're split up they're splitted splitted they're split into either the demon part of the army uh so demon generals or the bloodbound part of the army uh so the gore chosen the mortals so if we're going to talk about the demon general command traits we've got the embodiment of wrath which is at the start of your hero phase you roll a dice for each friendly bloodletter host wholly within 16 inches of this general on a two plus you can return d3 slain models to that unit now, uh, quite interestingly, you get something called economies of scale on this because it's at the start of your hero phase each time. If you take something like multiple small units of bloodletters, then that means you can return multiple lots of D3, which could be quite good. Probably isn't, but could be. Um, you probably, like, and especially, it's kind of odd because you really want units to die to get blood tithe. 
Um, so the healing mechanic in the army feels weird, but it's quite cool. Favorite of corn, your general has this command trait and you begin the battle with one blood tithe point. I'd say that's really rubbish. Uh, it's a one use and isn't particularly great. You get that one point to maybe do something in the first turn, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I quite like the idea of doing this and then doing one of the uh, prayers to drag it. So then you can move D6 inches with a unit. Oh, no, that can only happen in the hero phase. Ignore me. You can't do that combo. Uh, so, yeah, favorite of corn's okay, but probably really useless as well. Um, then you've got Firebrand. This general becomes a priest, and if the general is already a priest, they instead know one additional prayer from the blood blessings of corn. Now, you really want all of those prayers. They're so good. There's so much utility. That's before we even talk about getting involved with the invocations. So this feels like one you're going to want to take because you want to do a lot of prayers. Uh, basically. And then you've got Unrelenting Hunter at the end of the combat phase. If the general fought in that phase and was in three inches of an enemy unit, this general can make a pile-in move. Alternatively, at the end of the combat phase, if this general fought in that phase and is more than three inches from all enemy units, this general can make a normal move or attempt to charge. The thing is, is they can't hunt, uh, sorry, they can't fight with that ability. But it's kind of interesting when we know that we have a fighting the hero phase mechanic. So Unrelenting Hunter, Use that to bomb around the board, move into places your opponent wasn't expecting after you wipe units out, and then use the Blood Tide to fight in the hero phase in the next turn. It's quite a nice little bit of tech if it works out. Um, I think the Firebrand one's going to become more uh, more common, but there you go. Uh, and then we've got Blades of Corn. Uh, so we've got the Mortal side and their command traits. We've got Diabolical Purpose. Add one to the damage characteristic of attacks made by this general that target an enemy hero. It's very situational, so I very much doubt you'll take that. Then you've got Barbarian Lord. Add one to run rolls and charge rolls this general for friendly Blood Reavers, Claws of Karnak, and Flesh Hounds units while they're wholly within 16 inches of the general. So plus one to run rolls. Uh, there are other pluses to charge as well, I'm sure, on banners and other stuff. So plus two to charges. Uh, could be very good, makes that charging much more reliable for an army that wants to do damage. Uh, it's quite nice. And then you've got Lord of the Gore Chosen. Add one to the attack characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Gore Chosen units. And that basically means hero units um, for mortals, uh, which is kind of okay. It stacks up a little bit more. It's much better than the Diabolical Purpose uh, command trait. Um, which is just against enemy heroes. It's quite fun if you're running a bunch of heroes. And then you've got the High Priest of Corn, but foot characters generally don't tend to be great in combat. And then you've got the High Priest of Corn, uh, a priest only. In each of your hero phase, your general can chant two prayers that they know instead of one. Now, this is really good because this means if you have a one-chant priest, you get a two-chant priest. So instead of just going, Wolo, they will go, Wololo. So, which is good because you, you prefer the Wololos versus a Willow, generally, uh, in computer game talk. So, uh, High Priest of Corn, pretty good. I quite like that. Um, and I agree, the chat also agree, Wololow is indeed OP, as they say. That's what it, that's what it means. So, uh, these are quite interesting, but it feels like the ones centered around priests seem very strong, especially, especially as we know that the, blood, uh, the priest table or the prayer table is actually really, really, really strong. So um, it feels like you're a little bit pigeonholed in the army into what command traits you're going to take. But I really like Unrelenting Hunter as a potential way of uh, using those blood tides to fight in the hero phase. Seems quite fun. Uh, so let's go and look at the artifacts. Next up are the artifacts or the adornments that you can take for your different corn heroes. And fighting for the Arcane Tome in first slot 
Uh, these ones are the ones you can take on your demons. So we've got the Mark of the Blood Reaper. The bearer has a ward of 4 plus against mortal wounds. If it was a ward of 4 plus, amazing. Against mortal wounds, I'm out. And then you've got Argrath, the King of Blades. I like this one a lot. Ward rolls cannot be made for enemy units while they're within 3 inches of the bearer. So take a little uh, Demon Hero or a Boom Thirst or whatever. Yeet it in. Get it right inside. 3 inches away. Loads of units. No ward saves for you. That's actually really legit. That's actually very legit. I really like it. Halo of Blood, the strike first effect applies to the bearer. Also, obviously, really great in a combat army. And then Skullshard Mantle, add two to the hatred of sorcery rolls made for the bearer. So they would have a three-up spell ignore, and every time they ignored a spell, they would get a Blood Tithe point. I quite kind of like that, but I don't think there's any way to gimmick it uh, to get extra Blood Tithe points, because your opponent would just not cast spells at that one particular model. So, unfortunately, I think that's that one doesn't really work. But I really like... No ward saves. I really like Strike First. And then you've got the Murderous Artifacts. So these are for the mortals. You've got the Blood Rune at the end of the combat phase. If any wounds were caused by an attack made by the bearer, were allocated to a hero or monster and not negated, you receive a Blood Tithe point. That is going to require an FAQ because it doesn't say you have to have done that damage in the combat phase, just by the time the end of the combat phase occurs. And But it does say it has to be with an attack. So make sure you do it with an attack and not with something like a prayer. Um, that one's quite good because you get a blood tithe point, but probably not good uh, all in all. And then you've got Banner of Blood, Blood Secretor only. You can reroll charge rolls for friendly Blades Corn units wholly within 16 inches of the bearer. Number one, hilarious uh, that it hasn't actually got an 18 inch range. Uh, but the fact you get to reroll charges is great for a combat orientated army. That's how your army plays, it's what it wants to do. Reroll charges is very, very effective. Uh, Crimson Plate, this is a five up ward save. That's very good. Hero's quite safe at the moment in the GHB that we're currently in, because I'm recording this in March. Um, but if it's later in the year and you're somehow back to this review uh, and you want to learn about corn and, and heroes no longer protected from shooting, five at ward might be quite nice. And then you've got the Gore Cleaver, which just improves the Ren characteristic of one and does mortals on sixes to hit. You're definitely leaving that at home. So for the mortals, I think the Banner of Blood is a very, very good one. And I think the Crimson Plate is also a quite nice one for a five at ward. Okay, let's talk about the sub-factions. Yeah, the sub-factions. Uh, okay, this is where you get some extra bonuses for your whole army. You can only choose one sub-faction. You've got the Reapers of Vengeance. Okay, uh, and you get to add one to hit rolls for attacks made by friendly Reapers of Vengeance. Uh, demon units, so it's demon only. Um, that target an enemy hero. In addition, each time an enemy hero is slain, you receive one additional tithe point. Just, if you can take anything from me. If you watch this review and you think, I like that, that Rob guy, just never look at that again. It's not worth it. Let's just move on. And uh, then you've got the Blood Lord. So this is your Blood Letter sub-faction. When you use the Decapitate and Blow ability for Blood Lord's Blood Letter host units, so that is where they roll a six, they do a mortal wound, and then it stops, not in addition. Now it's on fives. So they're better at doing it. So effectively now, um, if you take them in Blood Lords, uh, then Blood Letters are just more expensive gut rippers, uh, effectively at the moment, uh, and not as good. And then you've got Baleful Lords, uh, and they've got, while a friendly Baleful Lord Bloodthirster, other than Scarbrand, is wholly within eight inches of another Baleful Lord Bloodthirster, other than Scarbrand, use the top row on its damage table regardless of how many wounds it suffered. Now this sounds really fun to take a couple of Smash Bro uh, Bloodthirsters, especially if you've got one with all strikes first, especially if you've got the other guy turning off ward saves. That's quite a nice little combo. Fighting at the top bracket, so if they did take any damage on the way in, 
that's really good for them as well. does require you to have two of them, and as soon as you lose one of those Bloodthirsters, obviously, it's all over. Um, doesn't seem to be loads of healing inside the army, uh, so you don't have a lot of, like, uh, attrition for, this, for these units. Uh, so that's the Baleful Lords. Then you've got Gortide, Skullfiend Tribe, and the Flayed, and these are all for the Mortals. For the Gortide, you add one to Wound Rolls for attacks made by melee weapons by friendly Gortide Bloodbound. So Bloodbound just means Mortal in this case. Units that target an enemy unit that's contesting an objective you do not control or that target an enemy unit wholly within enemy territory. So you've got to be very offensive, keep pushing into the enemy, and you get plus one to wound. Plus one to wound is a great buff. It's actually my favorite generic debuff as well, because uh, it changes math on a lot of different units. So that's pretty good for Gortide. Uh, Skullfiend Tribe is really nice. You make an unmodified charge roll of an eight. You get always strikes first on that unit until the end of the turn. Multiple eights is really good. We know that we can take the Blood Banner, so we can re-roll charges. You don't even... Even if you make a successful charge, like let's say a unit is six inches away and I roll a seven, I can still re-roll it if I want to um, with the blood with the blood banner. So then I can go for multiple strikes first, which is great. And then you've got the flayed, uh, which is friendly. The flayed bloodbound units have a ward save of five plus if they've been picked to fight in that same phase. So if they've already fought in that phase, they end up with a five up ward save. This feels like a very good one. This feels like very good, uh, like this, especially on units that are very, very fast. We already know we can make a unit move twice. So then move them twice, strike, do loads of damage. Uh, we've bronze flesh them, so they've got plus one save. And now they're the flayed, they've got a five up ward save on them, uh, which is good. So that makes them even tougher to shift. So overall, uh, pretty good. The demon side of it feels a little bit weaker in sub-faction rules than the mortal side of it, uh, but we haven't looked at uh, any of the war scrolls yet, so we don't exactly know how they're going to combo, uh, but let's get into it. I'm, very, I'm looking forward to it. Right, so we're going to look at the grand strats and the battle tactics, the way that you score points with the army. And they're a little bit more situational than some of the other books, and you do tend to get this disparity between all the different armies. Uh, so uh, you've got Blood for the Blood God, so these are the Grand Strats. Um, you've got the Blood Legion's March. When the battle ends, you complete this Grand Strategy for every uh, battle round. After the first, you summon any Blades of Corn Demon units. You're not going to do that because it restricts how you play the game in order to win, so you're not going to do that. Then you've got Bring Me a Worthy Skull. At the start of the battle round, ask your opponent to pick one hero from their army to be worthy foe when the battle ends you complete this grand strategy if that hero has been slain that would be good if it stopped there but it also says and the model pick to be your general has not been slain so it is unlikely that i'm going to choose that one uh, then you've got reap the blood tithe when the battle ends you complete this grand strategy if every battle round after the first you spent blood tithe points to use a blood tithe reward and you did not use the same blood tithe reward more than once again it really restricts how you play you can only choose like ones you haven't used so you're probably not going to choose that because your blood tithe is your mechanic for winning the game so pinning yourself on how you do that is won't be what you do and you've got disciples of carnage when the battle ends you complete this grand strategy if you complete at least four battle tactics uh, and every battle tactic you completed was from the for the skull throne so that's the battle tactics from the book battle tactics from the book are a little bit more situational than from some other books, but it feels like an okay grand strat that you're going to pick. You're definitely not going to pick the other three. 
in my opinion. So, for the Skull Throne, what battle tactics are these? Uh, you got Blood for the Altar. If you uh, kill an enemy unit within 8 inches of the Skull Altar. Uh, so, that's the first one. That feels good, but your opponent could deny it by not being within it, nearing the Skull Altar. Like, it's, again, that's what I mean by situational. It's if they're near it. Uh, you got Slay the Sorcerer. You pick a wizard hero on the battlefield, and then you slay it. Now, there's normally lots of wizard heroes running around, so not not terrible, but sometimes there are armies that don't necessarily have a wizard. Um, uh, or you may have killed the wizard on another turn before you chose his battle tactic. Uh, so that's a bad one. Um, uh, not a bad one, a situational one, sorry. And you've got Trial of Skulls. Pick one for any unit. You complete his battle tactic. If eight or more enemy models are slain, by attacks made by that unit during this turn. This feels good. Uh, this feels like a very achievable one. Even just killing a screen is going to get you this. So that's a good one. Um, that's that's good. Especially Jirami is going to do combat. You've got no cowards among us. Complete this battle tactic at the end of the turn. If all friendly Blades of Corn units on the battlefield are within 8 inches of enemy units. So that's pretty good. Although that does mean maybe getting your priests and other characters quite nearby. I imagine the Skull Altar that you've got is further at the back of the board. And there'll be a priest near it. So that might be a little bit more difficult to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's no murder roll tactic. Hashtag murder roll. And that's actually disappointing. There's not a single murder roll tactic or a murder roll. Do 100 murder rolls as a grand strat. I'm in. Um, you've got leave none standing, uh, which is a battle tactic that if you start in combat, you complete this battle tactic. If the unit that you chose that started in combat is no longer in combat at the end uh, of that turn. Um, and then the battlefield runs red. You complete this battle tactic if four or more units were destroyed during this turn. So that feels like uh, a good one. Because you're either going to kill a lot of their stuff, or you could even sacrifice some of your stuff to die to achieve that battle tactic. They're okay. They're a lot of, like, let's just kill, which is fine. Uh, but they're very specific in where they want to kill. So, like, um, this is going to be interesting. I'm not sure you're going to definitely... Uh, pick Disciples of Carnage for this. This is an army that's going to be very aggressive. It's going to have a lot of forward momentum. So you're probably going to take the generic battle tactics, uh, grand strategy, take what's theirs, uh, in my opinion. We're into the War Scrolls. And let me tell you, it's about to get spicy. It's about to get spicy. Scarbrand and the Bloodthirsters. We're starting with the Demons first. And Scarbrand is an interesting unit. He has inherent weaknesses. He is relatively slow, although actually not that slow in this version of the corn book. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but it's quite susceptible to being taken off the board quite quickly. Doesn't have an innate ward save, so does rely on that 5-up ward save coming from being outside of 8 inches from the enemy. Um, he's obviously got the spell ignore as well, so it feels like he might have that ranged defense that he may need to survive and make it across the board 16 wounds on a four up save and moves eight inches but of course we've got the move twice in fact we've got move twice and move another d6 uh for scarbrand potentially uh and then there's also on his war scroll he's got the ability to charge 3d6 from outside of 18 inches so i would say fast i would say ultimately fast he's very good However, from the previous version of Scarbrand, uh, he is not as scary as he once was. He's probably scary enough for his 380-point price tag. That's that he can do 15 damage in close combat with one of his axes called Slaughter, and up to 16 mortal wounds with his other one called Carnage. So, like, a pretty fighty monster. He can also, also fight in the hero phase, and just keep him fighting in the hero phases probably also feels very good as well. Um, so he can keep going. Problem is, is... 
He's, I would describe him as a glass-ish cannon. I wouldn't quite put him up there as a brawler um, because while 16 wins on a 4-up save is decent, um, I think there's a lot of other units that can take him out. But he's very fast now. Faster than he used to be, but it doesn't have fly, so it might struggle to get over screens. Um, and there's probably nothing worse or sadder than watching Scarbrand just beating up uh, a screen of, let's say, Skinks. Um, so, yeah, he's quite an interesting piece. He also has a mortal range, mortal wound shooting attack at 8 inches. He's a pretty cheap monster at 380 points, and he does a lot of damage. And some armies don't have that piece that does a lot of damage. There's some armies that would absolutely love to have a Scarbrand in their toolbox to do the work. So I think ultimately, pretty good. Lost a lot of damage from the previous version of what we saw Scarbrand be. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what you think. Please leave comments below if you watch this on YouTube. What do you think Scarbrand chat? I've had their thoughts about Scarbrand, which I think is interesting. Yeah, quite good, quite good. Right, we're going to be looking at the Bloodthirsters, and there are three flavors of Bloodthirsters. We've got the Wrath of Corn Bloodthirster, the Wrath of Corn Bloodthirster, uh, which um, is 330 points, like the Unfettered Fury Bloodthirsters, 338 points, um, and uh, the Incensor Rage, 330 points. Somehow, Games Workshop were able to make all three Bloodthirsters of exactly equal uh, value of 330 points, which is great. Okay, so what do they do? They're all 16 wounds with a four-up armor save, uh, and they most of them move 12 inches, but one of them, uh, but they all move 12 inches. Sorry, but this one, its uh, movement does degrade. They all degrade. All the movement degrades. Uh, they all degrade. So they move 12 inches, and then it degrades. 16 wounds, four-up armor save. I would say that's not a great profile for a combat monster. You would want a three-up armor save base, uh, so that's a bit of a shame. But they are cheap, which is great. Cheap is good, but also cheap is bad because you don't end up with something very effective. Okay, so uh, they're okay um, shooting attack coming from the Bloodthirst with a rack of corn, uh, but the important part is they've got a mighty axe of corn, uh, which is eight attacks, which is a lot of attacks, right? That hit on a two, wound on a two until it gets wounded, and then is rend two. Now, don't forget, you can get like plus two rend in this army, like so. Then you can end up at rend four, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then it's damage D three, which is a little bit disappointing, uh, because like you know, like an admiral from Courage and Overlords has got a more powerful uh, axe. Um, it is called the Mighty Axe of Corn. And to quote my friend Pershaw, "Nice axe, mate. Where did you get it? The shit axe shop. Great." Great, insightful. Okay, so it's got an okay damage profile. That's how we'll describe it. It's an okay, but for 330 points, you're going to want some more utility. Uh, and he does have some okay utility. He especially combos really well with other Bloodthirsters, thanks to the Commander of Tyrants ability, which is in the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly Bloodthirster of Incense and Rage or a Bloodthirster of Unfettered Fury, and you can fight at the same time. Fight at the same time. Uh, which is pretty good, uh, or like simultaneously. And that's quite fun, uh, because then you can just combo up some Bloodthirsters. So you, maybe you wouldn't take three Bloodthirsters, maybe take two and just use these together. Uh, yes, you could, of course, give him the Fight First artifact, give the other guy the Ignore Wards artifact, and you can be doing loads of D3, ball, D3 damage, like up to eight D3 damage, which is pretty scary um, for 
like skinks and stuff. Uh, so he's got the uh, the Hellfire Breath, which we talked about, uh, which could do up to 10 attacks, uh, depending on how many models are in the unit, uh, which is fine. It hits on a two wounds on a three, red one, damage one. So it's actually really great for clearing screens, like legitimately really great for clearing screens. Uh, and then once per turn, this unit can issue uh, a command without a command point being spent. Now, this army is actually so far not using a lot of command points. So that's quite good because uh, you can use it for some of those other abilities. So that's the uh, the Bloodthirster. Let me know who your favorite Bloodthirster is so far. So this guy wombo combos with other Bloodthirsters. Now, the next Bloodthirster is a little bit famous. The Boom Thurster, baby. The Boom Thurster. So, again, 60 wounds, 4 up save, moves 12 inches, it degrades. Bravery 10, not Bravery 8. That's weird. Uh, he has 5 attacks until he gets more wounded. He does degrade um, down to 3 attacks. That hit on a 4, wound on a 2, ren 2, damage D3. And he doesn't have any special rules other than Outrageous Carnage. If the unmodified wound roll for an attack made with this weapon is a 6... Uh, to wound, now don't forget it's to wound, uh, then every unit, enemy unit within six, uh, within eight inches, sorry, enemy, every enemy unit within eight inches uh, will suffer a number more wounds equal to the chart. So if he's unwounded, you're going to be doing five attacks, you're going to be hitting with two or three of them, uh, so then you have like a 50% chance of rolling one six, and then you could do four mortal wounds to everyone in... Uh, an area. Now this used to work a little bit better when you could pile in an attack twice with them. Um, it's 330 points though, which is really cheap, because that's what you want for units that aren't great. Uh, so that's a positive for the Bloodthirster of Incense and Rage. Um, so I think I think he's been downgraded from a Boomthirster to like a Squig? Squib? He definitely can't kill Squigs. Squib? Burst? Like something not a Boom, like a Bubble? A Bubble Burster. Like the bubble is the fact that you own him. That's the bubble. It's like a tech bubble. It's just going to pop. Um, uh, like, <laughs> right, and then just uh, threshold for your 1,000 point comp. Exactly. Uh, right, so then the Bloodthirst of Unfettered Fury is actually my favorite of the three. Uh, Lashed Corn has got an uh, eight-inch range, uh, and it actually has got four attacks that are threes and threes rend one D3 damage. So it's actually as powerful... Uh, does D3 damage as powerful as the Wrath of Axe Corn? Uh, the Axe of Corn from the Wrath of Axe Bloodthirster. That's crazy. That's crazy. Same power. Um, and then he's got eight attacks. Thematic. Thank you. Hits on a two. Wounds on a two. Ren two. D3 damage with the Mighty Axe of Corn. Okay. Uh, now, that's fine for 330 points. Uh, but the important part is he's got a couple of other abilities. He's got Beckon the Hunt, which is at the start of the charge phase. You can pick one friendly blades of corn unit wholly within 16 inches and they could charge from 3d6 uh, and outside of 18 inches and that's genuinely good that's a great utility piece uh, and that's at the start of the charge phase in every charge phase uh, so i think that actually this is a great boom thurster uh, and then the follow-up is the land rebels uh, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units while they're within eight inches of any friendly units with this ability that's good because you're going to need that to survive and then, in addition, at the end of each combat phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within 8 inches of any friendly units with this ability. On a 4+, it's T3 Mortal Wounds. And this is really good as well, because 8 inches is quite a broad area. If you're able to stay in a sustained fight with this guy, he's going to do so many Mortal Wounds that don't rely on you rolling 6s with the Boom Thurster. And instead, this is just going to be consistent output. The issue probably is keeping him alive. 16 wounds on a 4-up save is 
a lot of wounds, but it's not tons and tons of wounds. I always like to think of it as 16 um, one, moon, one wound models. That's how I always picture it in my head. That's how I picture it. Uh, and then I think, oh, okay. Okay, like that's not super survivable. But obviously he gets to keep around and he keeps doing the Land Rebels ability. Um, uh, like, it, like, which is quite good, which is a lot of damage. Uh, my friend Joe in the chat is saying, the Boom Thurser on average does less damage than Lord of Change or Kairos Fate Weaver, to give you some indication. However, to do a greater demon off, still more damage probably than a Keeper of Secrets. So, uh, pretty interesting all round. Uh, so the Boom Thursters, the 330 points. Uh, the most utility, I think, comes from the Blood Thurster of Unfettered Fury. Um, that's pretty good, uh, but thankfully they're cheap, so it doesn't matter that they aren't good. Okay, so our unique Skulltaker anti-hero warrior. Now, he moves five inches, and he's got seven wounds, which is weird, because I feel like it should be eight. Hashtag murder roll. Uh, but he does have a four-up armor save and a four-up ward save, so he's legitimately actually quite tanky as a unit he's 140 points which for seven wounds on a four up four up is is great is great but what does he do well he's got five attacks in close combat that hits on twos wounds on threes is rend one and damage two so not super great maximum of 10 damage however he does have a special ability called the slayer sword which any sixes to hit are going to cause two mortal wounds uh, and the attack sequence will end uh, but if you're fighting a hero, it's going to be three mortal wounds. So if you are fighting a hero, there's a potential of like 15 mortal wounds. But it's probably very unlikely. Uh, or it's definitely very unlikely. Um, he's also got an ability called Hero's Bane, which at the start of the combat phase, you can say the score taker is issuing a challenge. If you do so, you pick an enemy hero within three. Until the end of that phase, the strike first effect applies to this unit. But they have to all attack that hero. And then you've got skulls for the skull throne. If this unit is including a blade of corn army, each time... Uh, he kills an enemy hero, you gain a blood tithe. So, I think he's movement five, he doesn't deep strike, he doesn't teleport, he doesn't go anywhere around the board, he doesn't have like a, he doesn't move super fast. So, like, ultimately, like, he's probably not that great at taking skulls. But he's quite survivable. Like, he's going to run across the board quite survivably. Like, he's got four at ward save, is what I mean, and seven wounds. So, like, he's pretty chunky. Um, so he could be like an incredibly fun piece to build like a narrative army around. Uh, just say to yourself, like, I'm going to take Skulltaker. I'm going to see how many skulls I can actually take. And that feels like a, a very legitimate way to play the game. So like, I don't hate that idea. And, and legitimately might be a, a reason and way to play it. So, uh, yeah, Skulltaker. Interesting. Next up is Karnak. Karnak, the hunter dog. Uh, I think that's what he is. He's basically like a predator dog. Uh, he's a demon as well. So he's 140 points, seven wounds with a four up armor save, moves eight inches. He's almost got the same attack profile as a bloodthirster. Six attacks, fours, threes, red one, D3 damage. So six attacks at D3 damage versus a bloodthirster, which is eight attacks at D3 damage. Um, you get to add two charge, add two to the charge rolls for this unit. So that makes him a lot more, a lot more effective at getting into combat, which is quite useful. Can unbind a wizard, uh, unbind a spell like a wizard, and if he does successfully unbind a spell, causes D3 mortal wounds to an enemy wizard. We already know that there are other ways to proc D3 mortal wounds on enemy wizards, so this is quite nice to potentially double up on that and really cause some issues for opponents who are using magic-heavy armies. He's then got Call of the Hunt, and if his unit is included in a Blades of Corn army, 
Uh, friendly summon flesh hound units can be set up within nine inches of him. Uh, um, uh, within nine inches of any units, as long as they're set, in, set up with it wholly within eight inches of Karnak. So you could set up some flesh hounds into combat, which is kind of interesting. Happens at the end of the movement phase, uh, so you won't be able to use Blood Tide to fight again. Uh, but that's quite fun. Stops and unleash hell potentially. Um, uh, so that's quite fun. Uh, so yeah, that's that's some really interesting tech. He's like a beacon that you can run around with. And then he's also got Prey of the Blood God. And that effectively means that at the end of the enemy movement phase, as long as there are no enemy units within 9 inches of him, then you can make a normal move and he moves 8 inches. Because he picks an enemy hero that he has to hunt and prey on. Which is quite good. That's quite strong. Um, you get to move him around, but he's on a small base, uh, but that would be quite, like, you could do some interesting tech there where you move him and then you potentially put a summon somewhere where people aren't expecting to be. Talking about summoning, we talk about flesh hounds. Now, there are 100 points for a unit of five. They aren't battle line, um, but they're two wounds each with a five-up armor save and they move eight inches, and eight inches is quick enough, especially because they're probably a good screen they're on a cavalry base, so a really nice thing for these is to string them out for 100 points. We see Black Knights used for this a lot of the time. We also see Hex Wraiths used for this a lot of the time as well. It's kind of what they're there for. They've got the same ability to unbind an enemy spell, uh, like um, like Karnak, but they don't do D3 mortal wounds if they unbind it, which is a bit of a shame. And they do add two to the charge rolls, like Karnak. Uh, so they can be a little bit faster, which I think is good as well. They are battle line? I thought that they weren't battle line. Uh... The flesh hounds are battle line. Sorry, they are battle line. Uh, they are sorry, which is even better because this is really great because this is especially what you want in the enemy army. Uh, sorry, in your army is you want something that you can just run up and screen with. Uh, if you got a blood tithe at the start, um, you've got blood tithe at the start, then you can move these d6 inches, which is great. Run them, and you've got a really long screen to pin the enemy army in. Uh, which is, I think, particularly great. I really like that. As it comes to combat, they're not wicked. They've only got one inch range, so if you end up taking a unit of 10, then they won't be able to t attack over the top of the other, like uh, the front row, uh, unless you take them in the Galician Veterans uh, Battalion. They've got four attacks each, threes, fours, no rend, damage one. Uh, so you're going to get 21 attacks out of this unit uh, that are hit on threes, win on fours. And I'm going to say that that's okay but not great. They're definitely not a super strong unit, but they're only 100 points. So the utility is going to be able to block the board, control the board, and it's nice that you've got a unit in the army that can do that. Karnak's a really fun piece. Not sure he's going to make it into lists, but uh, because he doesn't have any utility outside of what he does. Uh, but if you are trying to build to beat enemy wizards, then Karnak might make it in the list. Okay, the first the first kind of hero we're going to look at that coincides really nicely with blood letters is the Bloodmaster, the Herald of Corn. 110 points, and importantly, has got the keyword priest. Six wounds on a four-up armor save and moves five inches. Now, he's got a couple of abilities that are really clutch in this situation. The first one is Gispaccio <laughs> Soup. No, he's got Decapitating Blow. Uh, which is any sixes uh, to hit are going to cause two mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends on his four attacks. So he's not really a very good combat character. However, as a priest, he's got a really good prayer, which targets a unit within 16 inches, an enemy unit, and you get plus one to wound against it for friendly corn demon units. And we're going to talk about blood letters in just a moment. But plus one to wound against an enemy unit is great. Uh, but it's only for the demons, so it feels like you're integrating in with a more demon-heavy force. 
uh, maybe in the sub-faction where you're returning blood letters, D3 per turn, as we talked about earlier. Now, his other ability, the Blood Must Flow, is in the combat phase, he gets to fight simultaneously with a unit of blood letters. And if you make him have the Always Strike First artifact, then you have Always Strikes First on this guy and also the blood letters, which means they get to skip the sequencing, which is really nice. Um, and they get to go uh, before the enemy, which is quite good. Might also be able to work really well um, in a Gleeshan chat, like the Gleeshan uh, Command Battalion, uh, which is quite fun. So he's 110 points. Uh, six wounds with a four-up save, so survivable enough, not super survivable, um, but he's got a great prayer, plus one to wound for your demons. So when we go and look at blood letters, you'll see that they're two wounds each on a five-up armor save, and they move five inches. Now, of course, if they're outside of eight inches, they're going to have a five-up ward save. They also have a five-up ignore prayer. Um, they have two attacks each that are threes and threes, rend one, damage one. However, however, uh, that does mean that if you use the prayer that we talked about previously, they can be threes and twos. All out attack, twos and twos on 20 attacks, which is really very nice. So this unit uh, is 180 points for 10. Uh, their command loadout, the champion gets plus one attack. The musician gives them plus one to charge, and that's going to be really, really useful, especially if you take them in the sub-faction where they do mortals on, sixes to hit, uh, on fives to hit. Because with Decapitating Blow, they do mortals on sixes to hit, and the attack sequence ends if you take them in the sub-faction where it can be fives, which is pretty fun. The standard bearer uh, keys in really nicely with our ability uh, to take the command trait that returns D3 models to a bloodletter unit in that uh, any native rolls of one on a battle shark are going to return one slain bloodletter. So they've got chunkier with two wounds apiece. They've got that not great five-up armor save. They could potentially do a lot of attacks if you give them the blood tithe plus one attack or or if you give them other ways to give them plus one attack like Wrathmongers. So you're going to generate a lot of attacks that potentially going to do mortals on sixes to hit or fives to hit if you've charged. My worry is that they're slow, but of course you can use Blood Tithe to fix that. You could do 3d6 charges um, from the Bloodthirst that we looked at already, which I think is interesting. I think these are, they're also Bravery 10, which is not like, which is actually very, very important to talk about. It means they're very likely, very unlikely to run away from Battleshock. So it means that you could do MSU and maybe their armor save isn't going to be as valuable. Ultimately, um, Blood Letters are going to be a very interesting choice because they're squishy uh, with their armor save. But, um, and they're like an okay fighting unit. Uh, it's whether or not they're going to be really powerful. Some people in the chat think that they're very very good uh which i think is interesting and some people think that they're medium i'd love to know what you think right now i'm not super impressed by them mainly because if i'm going to make something double move it probably won't be something that feels like a gut ripper uh, but i always love the idea of gut rippers on the table and i always like the idea of pinging so many mortal wounds so if i can return that many models like d3 every single turn um yeah maybe maybe not sure at the minute Okay, next up, we've got the Cavalry for the Demons. We've got the Skullmaster, who's 130 points. So he's a herald mounted on top of a blood crusher, but, but uh, he is not a priest, which really means he doesn't generate some utility for the army. However, if you do make him the general, that does mean that blood crushers are battle line. He's seven wounds with three up save and moves eight inches. He's, I would describe, okay in a fight, 
uh, doesn't have a particularly wonderful melee profile in my opinion. Uh, however, he does mortal wound impact hits when he charges with the Slaughterous Charge ability and does have an ability called... Sorry, he's 130 points for the Skullmaster, 130 points. Um, he does have a once uh, per battle at the start of the charge phase. All um, Blood Crushers within 16 inches, wholly within 16 inches, uh, get to re-roll their charge rolls, which is, which is okay. Uh, so let's talk about the Blood Crushers, which obviously he brings that utility to. to. So they come in a unit of three, and they are 180 points uh, for a unit of three, which for 180 points, you end up with 15 wounds on a three-up armor save, which is really good. They move eight inches, and they're bravery 10. Uh, again, they do not have a particularly wonderful melee profile. You're going to be getting six attacks from the riders, well, seven, because uh, you're going to have the champ. Uh, and then you're going to be getting nine attacks from the beasts. So they're much less of a damage dealer and much more of a pinning unit. So they're a damage check unit. But unfortunately, when we get to it, uh, the mighty skull crushers, um, uh, they are only 200 points for the same profile, uh, apart from they have five wounds and a two-up armor save. So they're kind of better in every way. Uh, the blood crushers, though, uh, if you do have lots of blood crushers, don't worry. They have a standard bearer that if you roll a one, uh, you get to return a blood on a battle shot test. You get to uh, return one blood crusher, which is kind of okay. Um, and they also do mortal wound impact hits with murderous charge. I think, unfortunately, having looked at the skull crushers war scroll, um, they're just not as good in slot. Uh, and they don't really have any buffs that you can apply to them other than putting them in a sub-faction where they can... Um, a sub-faction where uh, you can have mortal wounds on fives. I guess maybe if you decided to take a lot of blood crushers, like a unit of nine, uh, you could give them a 3d6 charge, which you could re-roll, which is kind of funny. That's a lot of mortal wounds, two mortal wounds per blood crusher, potentially. It's kind of fun. Uh, but I think overall... Uh, what they do in the army is already done better by another unit that has more synergy in the army. But if you are all in, all in, powerhouse, all in on uh, them blood letters, blood crushes and everything, then you're going to want to get yourself a blood throne. Because he's 160 points for a blood throne. 10 wounds on a 4-up save. Now, I would normally describe that as quite squishy, and it is. Definitely got the ability to just be lifted in a single go. However... However, he has got an ability called the Gore Feast, which is each time an enemy model is slain by an attack made by this unit, you can heal one wound allocated to this unit. And I kind of love that. I kind of love that. So that means he's kind of a wound tank going straight up to 10 wounds potentially, which is pretty great. Um, uh, which is, yeah, very, very good. Uh, he could be your general and he could have the command trait. Uh, which does do the return D3 models uh, back for six to, to, to bloodletter units within range. And that's going to tie in really nicely with his blood call ability. Which is blood call is a prayer that has an answer value of 3 and a range of 16 inches. You can either pick a bloodletter host unit or a blood crusher unit. And if you choose the bloodletters, you can return D6, right? But if you choose uh, the blood crushers, you can return a single model. So D6 is actually really good because they're two wounds each. So like we talked about earlier, the ability to return D3, you can return D3 plus D6 to a bloodletter unit. That's crazy. That's a lot of wounds. You potentially can bring almost a whole bloodletter um, blood unit back every turn, like in healing, which is pretty good for corn. Uh, pretty nice. 
Um, he's also a priest, obviously, and a totem. So he can do commands from 18 inches away, which is quite nice. Uh, and he's fairly fast moving 8 inches. 160 points. Um, are you going to go in all in on the demons? That's a great question. I feel like if you are, you're taking the Blood Throne. Because he's very, very effective. Next up, some of the only ranged output in the corn book in the Skull Cannon. 140 points, 8 wounds with a 4-up save. So not super survivable, to be honest. Same as like a chaff unit. Um, bravery, 10. Now, it has got a shooting attack, which is 18-inch range. With plus move, with 8-inch move, that's 26-inch range. So, like, that isn't terrible. And it's almost as good as a Thurster at its damage profile. Four attacks, threes, threes, Ren 2, damage D3. And legitimately, Korn needs this. It needs a unit that can shoot at some range and attempt to deal with something. Put some wounds on Marathi, as an example, uh, without wasting a big valuable combat block. Um, so overall, I'm a bit conflicted on this. It also has a special ability called Grind Their Bones, Seize Their Skulls, which in the combat phase, once it charges in, um, if it does any, if it kills a model, if it kills a model, it immediately gets to shoot. Now, it's got an unreliable combat profile, unfortunately, with four attacks from the Hellblades, which are threes and threes, rend one, damage one. Of course, it's if, it, if it's in the sub-faction, uh, then it will do mortals on sixes and fives. So then you definitely will kill a model, maybe, and then you get to immediately shoot. That will take it up to eight attacks, threes, threes, rend two, and D3 in a turn, which I quite like, and it's going to shoot in the enemy combat phase as well, if you kill a unit. My major problem with it is that I don't know if it survives to keep shooting. Shooting units normally are kept out of combat, specifically because they're a little bit fragile, like the Skull Cannon is. Um, so, but maybe there'll be bigger threats. Maybe they'll be dealing with Bloodletter bo blocks, or Skull Crusher blocks, or even a mighty Bloodthirster. So uh, this is quite interesting. Uh, maybe taking multiple Skull Cannons means you can really unload on your opponent, and your opponent has to charge you, which is pretty great. So I quite like that. Skull Cannon's an interesting one. I'd love to know what you all think. Uh, chat are quite interested in it. Um, the narrative for Skull Cannon is really fun. It basically just takes a skull and then puts it in the cannon and fires it out, which I like. But let me know what you think on this. For me, it's probably a no. Right, straight on to the mortals. And we're in with a legend. And hashtag murder rolls are already going. He's 160 points for Corgus Cull, the name character. All right, he's locked into the Gore Tide sub-faction. Okay. Now, what does he do? Seven wounds with three-up armor save. Doesn't make any sense. Should be eight, obviously. Right? Uh, and moves five inches. Now, he's got uh, an Axe of Corn, which has got six attacks, three threes, ran two damage, two. Uh, and he's got a dog with him. That means his Corn Dog can unbind an, uh, a spell like an enemy wizard. Uh, like, unbind a spell... From an enemy wizard, uh, like a like a wizard could. Um, he's also got Ashquis Bane, which is incredible. He gets to pile in eight inches from eight inches away, which is amazing. We love that. That's really good. That means it's very difficult to keep out of range of him. Uh, I love this. This is the guy from the starter box. This is Age of Sigmar day one, right? Uh, now, he's got a reality split in Axe, which he's always had, which is really fun, and I love this. Each time this unit fights, wounds caused by the Blood Dark Claws must be allocated first. But basically, at the end of any phase, if any wounds caused by this unit's Axe of Corn in that phase were allocated to an enemy model, and that enemy model has not been slain, on a 5+, that enemy model is slain. So an auto-slay ability on a 5+, which is incredible. 
Love that. Because he's so cheap. He's so cheap. So his ability to do that is great. But if you take Lord of the Gortides, so you play a Gortide sub-faction, this is where it gets really spicy. This unit is included in Gortide army once per battle. At the start of the combat phase can be any combat phase. You can say that Kull will unleash the Wrath of Gortide, and if you do so until the end of that phase, each time a friendly Gortide Bloodbound model is slain, you can make one additional murder roll. Murder! Now, don't forget that murder roll is if any of them are slain in melee. Okay? So shooting is going to just rip them up. But take a bunch of Bud Reavers, yeet them forward, let them get murdered in melee, and just keep rolling murder rolls all day. Don't forget a murder roll is a five up. Uh, if it's slain in each model, so 30 you'd roll, normally you'd roll 30 dice if they all got slain in melee. You'd get a blood tithe, but this, you would roll 60 dice. Any five ups are a mortal wound. That's 20 mortal wounds. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And a blood tithe point, which is great. Uh, I love Corgus Coal. I think Corgus Coal, in conjunction with trying to manipulate the murder rolls, sounds very, very fun. Um, and if not, uh, and... And or you could use Blood Warriors who do roll two, yes, and then you can turn it into three. But I think you get better economies of scale with more bodies, so you want cheaper bodies. Uh, so that's why I would go maybe for Blood Reavers. But like you choose what you want to do. Pretty fun. Corgus Skull, definitely wicked. Definitely would take him. Next up, we got the Realm Gore Ritualist, who's only a hundred points for a priest. You're probably going to be looking for the cheapest priest you can find for all the great priest abilities. Five wounds, the five up save, not very survivable, but 100 points is mega, mega cheap. Uh, it's got one attack in close combat, but it is Ren 2, which is brilliant and does more damage than a Bloodthirster's Axe. It does D6 damage. Uh, right, so what abilities do they have? So you've got a Prayer, uh, which is cast on a 4 and is 16 inches, and you reduce the number of attacks on an enemy unit uh, down to a minimum of one, which is good and makes your army way more survivable, which I love. Then you've got Desecrating Blood Runes. I'm not sure I really like this, but the chat seem to be super keen on it, so let's go for it. What this does is you pick an objective or you pick a terrain feature, and every unit within eight inches of that gets plus one to hit. It's pretty good, ultimately, and it's also for the rest of the battle. So the idea is you put it on a central objective, and then everyone within eight inches of, the, of that objective is constantly getting plus one to hit. I guess that's quite good. Saves your CP. You've got a lot of combat units. Getting plus one to hit on all of those combat units feels very strong. Uh, I can definitely see why it's so useful. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it's a priest for 100 points. So, pretty good. Right, okay. So, the Lord of Corn, Lord of Corn on Skullcrusher. So, if you make him the general, then immediately you unlock those incredibly powerful Skullcrushers as battle line and we'll talk about those in a bit but yeah very very good he has a base two up armor save which is phenomenal for a hero has eight wounds and moves eight inches very very good in combat he's okay he's got six attacks that are damaged two threes and threes but he's only rend one that's really going to let him down and then his brazen hooves on the skull crusher is pretty pitiful uh one attack more than a horse but it's threes and threes and damage one he has got a 5-up ward save against mortal wounds caused by spells or endless spells, which is wicked. Legitimately, very, very good. And after this unit makes a charge move, uh, pick an enemy unit within 3 inches on a 2+, they suffer 3 mortal wounds, which is also very, very nice. I quite like that. It's really good. 170 points for a very survivable hero. And uh, finally, he has a ability, a once-per-battle ability, which at the start of the charge phase, you can say he will declare a brass stampede 
and then all mighty skull crushers wholly within 16 inches get to re-roll their charges so that's very good especially if you're taking a lot of skull crushers or if you just want to guarantee that they're going to re-roll the charges but you can re-roll charges for a command point anyway so it doesn't really feel like there's any reason to take him other than maybe as a platform for unlocking those skull crushers as battle line because that does mean that you can take them from a unit of six up to a unit of nine because you can only reinforce battle line units twice so that means you could have a very big tanky pinning block of skull crushers so um other than that maybe there's some artifacts to take on him but he doesn't come as a priest which feels like where you want to put a lot of a power in the army uh but you maybe do want to make him a general um so i'm not sure what artifact you may want to take on him maybe a cheeky priest maybe a cheeky wizard just saying it master of magic arcane tome lord of corn so he can cast mystic shield on a unit of mighty skull crushers might be a vibe next up scar blood wrath he's a special character and a dear place in my heart I've played with him several times. I think he's a fantastic piece in the game. Six wounds with a four-up armor save and only moves five inches. However, however, and this is where it gets really exciting, he's got a three-inch weapon profile that hits on a two, wounds on a three, and is rend one, damage one. But he gets to make a number of attacks equal to the number of models within three inches or a minimum of five attacks if he's like fighting a monster or something. This is really good because he can just generate a huge amount of attacks, uh, which can be hitting on twos, wound on threes, rend one, damage one, which is pretty fun. However, he's six wounds of four up saves, kind of survivable, but probably going to die if he's fighting that many models. But he's got this really cool ability called the Slaughterborn. At the end of the movement phase, if this unit has been destroyed, roll 2d6. Uh, on an 8, you can set it up anywhere on the battlefield. Some important points to note is at the end of each movement phase, you can keep bringing back multiple scars. You can't have multiple on the board at the same time, but he can die, come back again, die, come back again, and he can come back a lot. And every time he dies, obviously, he's going to generate a blood tithe point, which is really, really effective. Um, you have to deploy him outside of 9 inches from the enemy, but he's kind of one of those pieces you don't want to kill because he just ends up in this weird position, which you don't want, all right? Uh, so I love that, and I think that that's really great. Um, so love Scarblood Wrath. And then you've got Murderous Paragon. If this unit is including a Blazer Corn army, you can make one additional murder roll each time uh, a model from a friendly Wrathmonger's unit within eight inches of it is slain. This is kind of cool. Wrathmongers aren't really going to be super good for like really spiking hashtag murder rolls um, because uh, they're multi-wound models. But it's still a nice little bit. And he's ultimately he's 100 points. One hundo points, very cheap, probably going to make it into most lists, I'm going to say, just because of his utility to be anti-horde, generate blood tithe points, and teleport around the board where you're not expecting. i got to say that this is a great piece. Next up, Valkia, bringing a bit of uh, lady representation to the corn army, love that, love that. Valkia's got six wounds and a three-up armor save. Moves 12 inches. It's a great melee piece. Five attacks, three threes, rend two, damage two. So not ultimately not wildly fighty uh, for 140 points, but it's kind of okay. Can be set up into Deep Strike, though, which is one of the few units in this army that can be, which is great. And then when you do deploy her outside of nine inches from the enemy, you can pick a unit within 10 inches and then roll a dice. On a one, nothing happens, but on a two plus... Whatever the dice roll is, so let's say it's a five, they'll take five mortal wounds, which is quite a nice little additional piece. She has a five-up ward save with a three-up armor save. So 
pretty survivable as a melee character as well, which we love to see. And then she's got this cool ability called the Gaze of Corn, which is add three to the bravery characteristic of Bloodbound, basically read mortal units, holding within 16 inches. However, friendly Bloodbound units cannot retreat while they're in range. So I quite like that. Plus three to Bloodbound units, which is good because they don't have a super great uh, bravery characteristic, makes them almost demons, but they can't retreat. And your army probably doesn't want to retreat anyway. Uh, and you can always move Valkyria and then retreat the unit. So that seems fine. So I think for 140 points, I would maybe try and find room for Valkyria, but she isn't a priest. Again, you're going to want to probably get those priests in the army. Valkyria might not make it in there. Next up, the Mighty Lord of Corn. Uh, 130 points, seven wounds with a three-up armor save, so quite tanky, really. Uh, okay in a fight with five attacks, uh, Ren 2 and damage 2. Um, can unbind a wizard, uh, unbind a spell like a wizard, thanks to his corn dog. And it's got a command ability, which gives always strikes first to a gore chosen unit, not forgetting gore chosen units are hero mortal corn units. Other than that, that's about it. Moves five, doesn't have a reality split and axe. I'm just going to go for fine to okay. Like, nothing really to talk about. Next up, the auto-include 110-point Bloodsecrator. Six wounds with a three-up armor save and moves five inches. So, survivable enough, which is great. He is a hero, which is great. Uh, and also a totem, so can issue commands from 18 inches, which is very important. Because if this unit issues a rally command, it happens on a 4-plus instead of on a six, which really means we can hashtag murder roll the hell out of this army. We've got 30 blood reavers. We have 29 of them murdered by the enemy, which means if we've used Corgus Gold, we've rolled 58 murder rolls, which has taken millions of hours. And then we've rallied half the unit on a four up in the next turn. Absolutely perfect. Uh, great opportunity to use the leadership of the alpha uh, unique enhancement from this general's handbook, of course, so you can issue it three times. And that's not all that he brings for 110 points. He's also got the Rage of Corn, which is the banner he can plant in the middle of the board. Well, he can plant where he stands. And then you get to add plus one attacks characteristic to any friendly Blades of Corn units wholly within six inches, uh, 16 inches, sorry, until the end of that turn, which is great. Um, uh, yes, he can also rally, only rally mortals. Apologies. That's really worth noting. Can only 4 plus rally on mortals. But that's still great. That's still great. 110 points. Absolute stonks to the moon on a Blood Secretor. Fantastic on the Blood Secretor. Really great. Really, really good. Now we're on to the Juicy Priest. And we've got a Slaughter Priest. Six wounds with a five up armor save. Um, so not super survivable. You're going to keep them at range anyway. They get to unbind a spell like a wizard, which is great. And then we have Blood Boil, which is their unique spell, which is on a four and a range of 16 inches, but it's a flat D6 mortal wounds. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, that's great. You want D6 mortal wounds if you can at 16 inches. That helps your army. But it doesn't increase the scale of your army like we've seen with some of the other priests. So maybe you're going to take one of the other prayers and then use one of those prayers instead and then swap between those two useful prayers. So 110 points, great melee profile for 110 points, uh, is a priest. You really want that in this army. Fantastic. For only 90 points, you get the terror of a bloodthirster, the skull grinder. Six wounds with a four-up armor save 
and only moves five inches. But he's very, very cheap. Now, his Brazen Anvil is three attacks, threes and threes, rend one, damage three. Unless he targets a monster, in which case you get to add one to the damage characteristic of that Brazen Anvil. In addition, if any wounds were caused by an attack made with a Brazen Anvil to a monster, the Strike Last effect applies to the monster. So, you end up with three attacks that are damage four, and you make them strike last. Obviously, we can stack pluses attacks on the Brazen Anvil, so potentially four or five attacks. Uh, and so, this guy could auto-wipe out a Bloodthirster, which is quite fun. He's also got the ability um, uh, to temper a Bloodbound Hero's weapons and add plus one rend to them uh, with Temper with the Fury. You're probably not going to take that as much, uh, but this is just a very funny cool little war scroll for potentially murdering big monsters i mean i feel like i have to mention every war scroll but the aspiring breath deathbringer is here and he's 80 points but doesn't have any synergy with the rest of the army and he's like rubbish so like he, he's there but you won't take him so it's fine the exalted deathbringer is 90 points and is also a hero is here in the army but he's fine so don't 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 bother Okay, let's look at some mortal battle line units and blood reavers. Who I'm kind of, in, I'm kind of vibing on blood reavers. If I'm honest, I think he's really great. They're one wound with a six up armor save. Sure, with some shooting, you're going to just absolutely wipe these guys out. They're only bravery five. Okay, they're terrible. They've got that five up ward save, but that's not going to be enough against the amount of shooting that's available. However, if you get them in combat, let me tell you, I'm quite impressed because eighty, uh, you get ten for eighty points. Right, And you've got two weapon profiles, Reaver Blades or Meat Ripper Axes. If you're within 16 inches or wholly within 16 inches of a Corn Totem, then they get to add plus one to wound to their weapons. So that means the Reaver Blades are going to be threes and threes, and the Meat Ripper Axe is going to be fours and threes. Uh, but the Meat Ripper Axe does have Rend 1. But we kind of talked about this, and you can get plus two Rend on this quite easy. So with plus one to hit, you can have two attacks. So from a unit of 10, you'd have 20 attacks. Threes and threes, rent three, damage one is pretty crazy. They get plus one to charge and plus one to their bravery from the standard bearer. But because they're battle line, you could obviously reinforce them up to a unit of 30. There are ways to give them plus one attack at least. Uh, so you could have 90 attacks coming out of these guys, which is just nuts. And as we talked about, they get to roll murder rolls. And they're the cheapest amount of bodies for the maximum amount of murder rolls. So if you think about it, if you wipe out the unit of 30 Blood Reavers, which is 260 points, 240 points, um, then what you get is you get to roll 30 dice on 5-ups. If you use Corgus Goal, that's going to be 60 dice. Now, are they perfect? No. You can rally them on 4-plus as well, which is great. But for an incredibly cheap unit, I think you could really build an army around these um, in a weird way. Uh, they are only on what they only are one inch. Uh, sorry, they're only one inch range weapons. They are on twenty five mil bases, but of course you can take them in the battalion so that you can fight in two ranks. Uh, the Galician veterans, which is great. Um, so I like that. Uh, are they on thirty two mil base? Oh, okay, they're on thirty two mil bases, but still in the battalion you still. Uh, in fact, a 32-mil base is even better because you get to screen more, which is pretty hot. I like Blood Reavers. I'm just going to say it right now. Are you going to paint hundreds of Blood Reavers? Probably not. Should you? Maybe. 
coming in at 140 points is you have a unit of five Wrathmongers. They've got three wounds each. So that does mean 15 wounds, but they're only on a five-up armor save. They've got four attacks each. So that's going to be 20 attacks, threes and threes, rend one, damage one. Now, the reason you would probably take them is because of their buff aura. Enemy bla oh, sorry, Blades of Corn units wholly within eight inches get plus one to their attacks characteristic, which is really great. Um, and then they've also got, so then you could use them to like be around buff pieces, like maybe buff around, I don't know, a Bloodthirster if you're taking those, probably not, um, or any other units. But being in that wholly within eight inch bubble, bubble might be a little bit difficult to organize, but it is ultimately a unit five, so they can extend that range quite a bit, which is quite nice. They've also got this Blood Fury ability, so if you attack them, any ones to hit against them means you're going to suffer a mortal wound back. You're going to try and take a lot of buff pieces in this army. You're going to take a lot of priests. Uh, you're going to take a lot of those things to buff. I wonder if the Wrathmongers are going to make it in at 140 points to add those additional buffs on. But maybe. They're a lot like fanatics uh, that you get for Gloomspite Gits for the same role. And they're also a legitimate melee threat in some ways. Not an incredibly powerful melee threat, but they're a bit of a melee threat. Uh, so Wrathmongers are an interesting one. I'm not really sure if they would make it into a list I would write, but maybe because I quite like the idea of running loads of Reavers and you get some good economy of scale with Wrathmongers. So pretty fun. Okay, so Blood Warriors are very interesting. They're 190 points and they're a they're an anvil. They're a tanking unit. You get two wounds apiece and 10 models for 190 points, but they have a three-up base armor save. Uh, with the standard berry, add one to their bravery, so their bravery seven. Um, and uh, the champion gets plus one attack and can take a special weapon. Now, they roll two more murder, m hashtag murder rolls, instead of just one, hashtag murder roll, uh, which is pretty fun when they die, so that's more chances to do a mortal wound, and obviously you can rally them on a four plus, uh, which is pretty mad, which is pretty mad when they're so survivable, bronze flesh giving them a two-up armor save. Uh, if you take them with the Gore Fist and the Gore Axe, then any sixes to save are going to reflect a mortal wound, which is quite nice to work in conjunction with no respite. Um, I quite like that. That's kind of fun. Uh, I quite like the idea of paired Gore Axes, though, because they're very survivable anyway on a three-up armor save. Three attacks each, threes, wound on a four, which is sad, and then minus one. Um, uh, like, And then they're damage one. But if you do, were to stack the amount of attacks on and use a Blood Tithe for end, use the Prayer for end, bring a Chaos Gargan if for end, then you could be on rend four with like five attacks each. So just even 10 Blood Warriors at 190 points could be doing 50 attacks at rend four, which is really good, which is really good. They rally on four ups. Um, that's I think that they're legitimately interesting. Uh, for holding objectives, for fighting, um, they're pretty good. But that's a lot of points I've spent on buffing this unit. But for a frontline melee unit, like they're not bad. They're not bad at all. I quite like what they do. Um, it would be nice to maybe see them do more damage. But I guess the idea is that they die, they do murder rolls, they come back to life out in the blood from the rally, they die, they do more and murder rolls, and they come back and they do that process again. They're very tough to kill. Very tough to kill for 190 points. It's quite interesting. Uh, quite interesting. Oh, yeah, and you've got loads of priests, so you can do curse. Sixes to hit, do a mortal wound. Maybe don't even need to stack all the rend on them. Just get the, stack the extra attacks and just keep doing curse. Oh, interesting. L really interesting. The Bloodstoker brings the speed to the corn army. 
the speed, 90 points, five wounds, four up armor save. Doesn't matter about what it does in combat because you're bringing it because it's a support piece. D3 units get run and charge. You then roll a dice, and if you happen to roll a one, then you take a mortal wound in addition. But you still absolutely get to beat it up and run. Now we're getting hordes of blood warriors and blood reavers running and charging, maybe doing some 3d6 charging. I am really feeling the mortals in this army, really feeling them, really cool. Okay, a unit that's going to define some army lists, I think, and a playstyle that we're going to see, what we call an alpha pin army, are the mighty skull crushers. A unit of three, they cost 200 points, and they're five wounds apiece on a two-up base armor save, which means 15 wounds on a two-up armor save. Take bronze flesh and a mystic shield, uh, or do stew uh, all-out defense, uh, then they're going to be on a two-up armor save, ignoring Ren 2, which is very good. Um, in combat, they're okay. Not particularly good. They're going to be doing like four attacks with the ensorcelled axes, three attacks with the brazen hooves, brazen hooves. That's not their job. Their job is to be a tank and to pin the enemy army in uh, because they're on large bases, very large bases. And because you can take them as battle line, like we talked about earlier, you're going to be able to have a unit of nine with a crazy save pinning the enemy in, uh, which is just absolutely nuts. Uh, they On the charge... They only move eight inches, but as we talked about, we've got run and charge available for this unit. Uh, we have a charge on 3d6 available for this unit. We have double move available for this unit thanks to uh, Blood Tithe. Uh, on the charge, they do mortal wound impact hits uh, it as well, which is pretty great um, with Murderous Charge and just incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Uh, I think this is definitely going to define an alpha pinning list. 15 of the... Sorry. Uh, nine of these, uh, which is 45 wounds, is only going to cost you 600 points. Uh, and that allows you to pin the enemy in uh, while you grab a bunch of objectives, which I quite like. Uh, maybe people will take smaller units for trying to pin units back, but uh, very, very solid. They're Bravery 8 with the banner. Uh, yeah, very, very good. And I think they're the talk of the town at the minute. i got to say, though, I'm really feeling Blood Warriors and Blood Reavers at the minute. That's kind of where I'm at. I get what this does. I don't like alpha pin lists because you just send it and sit. Uh, it doesn't really, you don't really play. Uh, but I like the other units. Uh, but these have got some uh, power in them. They've got a lot of attacks as well. So you do have curse available to you. So if you do end up putting a priest near the enemy, uh, you also are just going to be rolling a lot of dice looking to pin those sixes on mortals thanks to the curse prayer. Next up, we've got the Skull Reapers. 190 points, again for a unit of five, with three, three wounds each. So 15 wounds, but these guys got a four-up armor save, so a little bit better than the Wrathmongers. Uh, the Demon Forge weapons are two-inch reach, which is cool, with four attacks each. So it's going to have 20 attacks out of the unit. Hit on threes, wound on threes, rend one, damage one. Of course, uh, they do sixes on mortals to hit, which is quite nice. And you get to add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit if it target has uh, the target unit has five or more models. So it could be twos and threes, which is quite nice. The odd thing about this unit, though, is they're neither as survivable as the other units, nor do they maybe kick out as many attacks. So while the sixes to hit are quite nice, you can just always uh, get good and do a bit of curse and then use the other units that are better in other ways uh, to produce the same effect. So they weirdly sit as a bridge unit between several other units, and they don't do any of those as well as those other units. So, uh, yeah, not a big fan of these, personally. Um, and so I wouldn't take them for 190 points. But there's loads and loads 
of really great stuff in this army, so I won't be too upset that the Skull Reapers aren't great. Okay, so the Warcry Warband, the Claws of Karnak, are 100 points for only 8 models, with only a wound each. So they're nothing to sing about, but they're unconditional battle lines, so they're just battle line units. And they have a pre-game move, and in Age of Sigmar, pre-game move units get to cap objectives. So that's kind of an interesting combo, because it makes your opponent... If it, they're deciding if you, they go first or second, kind of have to worry about the fact that you've already grabbed an objective with a pre-game move unit. I like the idea that they can push out as well. Uh, we talk a lot about board control. What I mean by that is, is, is with their pre-game move, they can move up and then they create a zone that your opponent can't deep strike into or potentially move into without your unit being in the way, which is quite nice as well. So, and if they die, they die. They're a blood tithe point. You know, murder roll, baby. Murder roll. Skylar Angfrim is a hero monster. Well, it's not a monster, it doesn't act for the monster keyword, sorry, but it's a hero. He's kind of like a predatory, I don't know what he is. He's got eight wounds and a five-up save, moves eight inches, gets to unbind a spell like a wizard, and pile in from eight inches, uh, which is quite nice. He's got two attacks with his tail, which is the same power as the Bloodthirster, D3 damage, and eight attacks, but are only damage one with the Brutal Fists. Overall, this army really feels like an army of synergy. There are loads of overlapping buffs, especially coming from the priests, that can really, uh, really make this army level up significantly. Sila doesn't really fit into that in the hero slot, uh, and so it's not really for me. Okay, onto the Korgrath. Uh, this one's, <laughs> uh, this is an interesting one. This is my friend Gitli. Um, eight wounds on a four-up armor save. 110 points for one Korgrath. I guess you're comparing it really to a Horogast because he has an ability called Horrific Predators which enemy units cannot receive Inspiring Presence while they're within three inches. It also does damage though uh, because his Cause of Fangs attack is five attacks, threes and threes rend one damage too. And while that eight wounds on a four-up armor save isn't a lot, he does have the Taker of Heads which is each time an enemy model is slain and that's every time you get to heal a wound. So if you kill five models, you heal five wounds. And that isn't nothing. That's pretty good. He's got the Bloodbound keyword, so all the buffs we talked about previously will work on the Korgrath as well, which I think is cool. And if you do kill the Korgrath, you'll roll five murder rolls. Hashtag murder rolls. Is it great? No. Um, you can get inspired, uh, like, um, you get no inspiring presence from the icon, but I don't think you're going to take the icon because you've got so many other prayers that you're going to try and maybe roll in the army. Um, so the Korgrath is quite interesting to put in the army, I think. Uh, I quite like it. Like, I legitimately don't hate it. Damage 2, it's quite nice to have that in your army. Uh, but, like, uh, probably you won't see it. But I think it's an interesting tech piece. So Drom uh, and the Gore Chosen of Drom are 180 points. Drom has got 6 wounds with a 5-up save and has got a unique... Um, a unique prayer where you draw a straight line over 16 inches and any units passed across it on a 2-plus suffer D3 mortal wounds. And then the Gore Chosen of Drom are pretty cool. There's two models. Uh, one of them has a 4-up ward save. Oh, they have a 4-up ward save, sorry, when they're close to Drom. Uh, I think you have 8 wounds in this unit. Um, you get to do mortal wounds with white hot anger from uh, the uh, Skull uh, grinder, Herax, a while within three inches of enemy units, and then you've got Throttle, at the end of the combat phase this unit includes a Gorehulk, you can pick an enemy one within three and roll a dice, if the roll is more than the wound's characteristic, it gets to die. 
Uh, so that's quite nice. 108 points might make it an expensive priest in this expensive priest army. Um, but uh, gets to take a unique spell and gets a kind of bodyguard unit. Quite interesting. Doesn't actually bodyguard, uh, but kind of. So Margot's Fiends are a really interesting unit. They're 120 points. You get a unit of three, and they're three wounds each on a three-up armor save. They get to make two murder rolls instead of one, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, but really, the trick that you're playing with them is because of the Riptooth ability. Riptooth lets you summon a blood, uh, sorry, a fleshhound unit of only one. That means for 120 points, you basically get two units, which can die pretty quick, and therefore they are going to generate you two blood tithe points, which is quite nice. Uh, you could even use the prayer to do D3 mortal wounds to a unit to generate a blood tithe point, which will kill the single doggo and then also generate you a blood tithe point, so therefore get you two blood tithe points at the start, um, which is pretty nice. It's a pretty nice trick, but also heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, Margul's Fiends. Uh, you would be a fiend if you did that with the dog. That's all I've got to say. Finally, Garax Reavers. Pretty spicy. They're a unit of five, but they're two wounds each. Okay, they've got an okay combat profile. Three attacks each, threes and fours, rend one, damage one. But they're only 70 points. But the key part here is they've got the Grizzly Trophies ability, which, which, and this is what I really like, this is what I really like, if uh, they kill any models, then you receive an additional Blood Tithe point. So these might make it into your army because what they're trying to do is generate loads of Blood Tithe. Um, another little cheeky way of doing it. There's quite a lot of few cheeky ways of doing that in this army. Um, I quite like that. Okay. And that is it. That is everything from the book. That's the full review. Um, so what do I think? What does the chat think? Okay, my review is this. I really like the bloodbound part of it. The mortal part seems really good. I definitely can see uh, some things that you can do really positively with the demon portion. Uh, but the mortal stuff seems to have a lot of overlapping buffs. Great armor saves, which I really enjoy. And honestly, I'm hashtag... Murder roll. I'm on the train. I just want stuff to die, maybe not die, maybe rally, maybe murder roll some stuff. Feels pretty decent. A lot of good armor saves. Weirdly for corn, doesn't feel like a lot of damage. Which is the weirdest thing I've ever I could I could possibly say for corn. They seem fast, which is really good. The prayers seem very important. You gotta make sure no one destroys your shrine uh, or your war altar so that you can keep re-rolling those prayers which seems very, very effective. Priests seem really important. The chanting rolls feel really important. Um, uh, so that seems really good. Uh, you're fighting for places for characters in your army. Um, but I like Blood Warriors. I like the Blood Reavers. Obviously, Skullcrushers are great as well. Uh, but I really lack in, I'm really struggling to find like the damage unit in there. Um, maybe it's loads of Blood Letters. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to find that in the army, which is odd. Uh, but I like the idea of stacking loads of different rends as well, which I think is quite interesting. Um, I think ultimately, I think it's uh, going to be a very interesting book. And I think it's an uplift from the previous book. Uh, and I think it's got some nice anti-wizard mechanics in there as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what people do with it. Um, so yeah, weirdly a tanky, a fast tanky army, which I would expect to be a fighty charging army, which is odd. But... Uh, like, I can't wait to see what uh, players do with it all across the world. Uh, pour one out for the Corn Dragon. It's sad to see it go. I hope you've enjoyed the review. If you did enjoy the review, I filmed it over five hours. 
uh, with the Twitch chat. And I do have a Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, that'd be really cool of you. Um, and if not, then just, you know, like and subscribe and all that. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening to The Honest Wargamer.